Hello and welcome to the DNA Software Podcast. In our second episode today, we're going to talk about the role of high-quality databases in primer design. I'm joined by our CEO and President, Dr. John Santalucia. Uh, John's going to give us some more context around what to consider when uh, building inclusivity, exclusivity, playlists, uh, background playlists, and um, what's important in, in bringing these sequences into um, databases in Panoplex, and then how to best uh, leverage the, the databases that you've curated and uh, just important considerations and best practices. So this is a question, John, we get from our customers quite often in terms of um, you know, which sequences to include, which, which uh, maybe they shouldn't, how to, you know, just some best practices in, in which uh, NCBI accessions are, are relevant or not. So uh, if you want to start maybe at a 30,000 foot level and then we can kind of drill down on how to, how to maybe best proceed with building uh, high quality databases in Panoplex. Sure. You know, um, I think it's probably, our software is probably unique in the world in actually um, utilizing full databases as a part of the primer design at all. Uh, you know, most programs um, would utilize some simple TM calculations. Um, they might have some accounting for simple primer dimers, simple hairpin formation, but they would completely bypass um, the genome resources that are available for understanding the variants uh, that are important to characterize for, for different pathogens. So um, dealing with that, one of the reasons why most software doesn't do it is they don't have the computing power or the memory or the disk drive to store those large databases. So um, if you're doing primer design with a laptop, you're just not in the 21st century. Um, so, so we've been sort of taking a three-pronged approach to our primer design uh, solutions. So one is understanding the science of PCR. Two is understanding uh, the databases and modeling. And three is the high-performance computing. All three of those work off of each other. So for the databases that we're talking about today, um, let's take an example like the uh, Zika virus, for example. So the Zika virus is a pathogen, RNA virus. And there are many known variants of the Zika virus. And any design you would do for a clinical diagnostic, you'd want to detect all of those Zika variants. So routinely what a user would do uh, using Panelplex, uh, our software, is they would go to a database like the NCBI GenBank, or they'd go to one of the curated databases like um, the Los Alamos uh, National Lab database, or the Viper uh, database out of um, California, or there would be um, a number of other curated databases that are out there that um, are helpful. Uh, for example, for the SARS-CoV-2, there's the GISAID database. So they'd go to one of those databases, and then they would download as many accessions as they could get. And for your inclusivity, however, there's an immediately a problem, which is not all of the accessions and sequences that you download are equally um, high quality. Some are low quality. So Not to interrupt you, but what, what does high or low quality mean in terms of if I'm a Panoplex user and I'm trying to discern, like, this is a high quality sequence or, or this maybe isn't. Is it um, sequence length, ambiguity? What, what um, dictates 
high quality. Yeah, you're right on the right track with all of that. So, so first of all, is the genome complete? So for our background databases and exclusivity, we don't care about the database if it's fragmented or just a small partial part of it, no problem. But for the inclusivity database, it's really important to have all of the members of the database cover the region you're interested in or the whole genome. So for example, if you're doing a, if you're doing a diagnostic for SARS-CoV-2 and you have some genomes are complete, and some genomes are, you know, just one particular gene, you know, the S gene. Right. Uh, and then other sequences in the database are for the N gene, and then other ones are for ORF8. Well, um, if you're trying to do a consensus design, the program is going to be biased by the number of occurrences mm -hmm. of the given sequence. So some sequence, so the one that's for the S gene does not have the N gene. So there's no way to have a single assay that would cover all of those. So what happens is partial sequences end up biasing the design, not toward the region that's the best for design, but toward the region for which you have the most sequencing uh -huh. information. Um, another level of quality is based on the number of ambiguity codes. So um, sequences that are less reliable will often have a number of the N ambiguity codes or one of the other IUPAC ambiguity codes in there. And the more of those that are in there, the fewer reasons you, regions that you have to do design to. And one of the problems in a large database, like let's say you're doing influenza, where we have tens of thousands of full-length um, segment genomes. Um, if some of them uh, have ends at the five prime end, some of them have ends in the middle, and some have ends near the three prime end, again, you start getting into this bias, and you avoid regions, and you might have very few regions left where there's full sequencing available. So number of ends, ambiguity codes. And then another one is depth of coverage. So some sequencing methods, like the shotgun-based um, Illumina sequencing methods, um, they can sometimes have blind spots where, um, the, where the depth of coverage is either zero or low, so the reliability is not good. Um, some sequencing methods, um, have a higher error rate for each individual base call, so they need to have even more higher redundancy in the coverage. So those three metrics, coverage, amount of ambiguity codes, and is the, full, the genome full length are our number one quality metrics that we look at, particularly for the inclusivity. So database. when you mentioned like influenza having tens of thousands of variants, uh, that, that's a lot of sequence information to bring into an inclusivity playlist. Um, where are, you know, what are some maybe limitations to consider around, you know, number of sequences that we're bringing in? Could, could we bring in 10,000 or 20,000? Um, you know, for viruses, uh, we haven't found the limit for most viruses. Um, the SARS-CoV-2 would be one major exception to that. So, so for influenza, we've done, you know, up to 15,000 um, accessions with no problem, reaching no limits for the database size. Uh, but those are relatively short. The segments are usually between 2,000 and 1,000 nucleotides long. Um, a genome like SARS-CoV-2, on the other hand, is 30,000 nucleotides. And now there's over a million, uh, probably closer to 2 million, um, COVID genomes that have been sequenced. So you're talking about, you know, on the order of, you know, 50 to 100 billion nucleotides worth of, of genome. That starts getting... 
um, hard for us to, um, to deal with. So um, I would say that, um, that a good rule of thumb is, well, I know for sure that we've done, for example, around 30,000 COVID genomes. Um, so something like on the order of something less than the human genome and total nucleotides is something we easily handle. If you have databases that are larger than that, we probably can handle that internally at DNA Software because um, we have sort of power user access to the, to the cloud resources. We could throw a larger hard drive on a particular run, sure. throw more memory at a particular run, those sorts of things. Um, that's, a, that's an important consideration because I've heard customers think like, uh, you know, more is better, and that's not necessarily the case. So you want to consider the quality. High quality. High better. quality over quantity. So sometimes they feel like, you know, the more sequence information I, I um, you know, do put, put into this playlist, the better outcome, but that's not necessarily going to be the case. As long as the quality is high, more is better, generally, um, to a certain point. If, of course, the more you put into that database, the longer the runtime will be. Right. Um, so usually a more uh, a better strategy is put a lot of if you have a lot of sequences that are partial sequences that's fine for the exclusivity and background for the right. inclusivity we really need that it's a premium on high quality genomes which fortunately nowadays there are high you know a lot of high quality genomes for virtually every pathogen that that's known. Um, that's a that's a good point to consider you know. If, you can include that in the exclusivity, you can include that in the background, but uh, you want to be a little more selective with the inclusivity. Yeah. There are some organisms where there are still spotty coverage of, uh, in GenBank, so I'm thinking specifically of like some of the fungi. So those yeah. can be challenging to put together, sure. high-quality databases. Sometimes you have uh, to work with um, scaffold-level uh, and contig-level genome assemblies. And those are not as reliable as complete or full uh, genomes. And, and we still say a, a good rule of thumb is about 90% sequence similarity or homology in that inclusivity grouping. Uh, yeah, that's another good point. So sometimes users will come to us with a virus or bacteria that has a highly diverse uh, phylogeny. So an example of that would be um, something like the human papillomavirus or the human rhinovirus, these viruses are exceptionally diverse. Um, oftentimes you cannot detect those with a single assay, so you need to break them up into separate tests um, to cover the full genome, uh, or the full uh, genomic space. Um, so, so those can be sort of a useful rule of thumb is that we like to see that within the group you're trying to do a consensus design, that there are about 90% similarity among all the sequences. Yes. Yeah, that, oh, I, I really appreciate you outlining what to consider because this is one of the most frequently asked questions from customers. Uh, what, what goes in that inclusivity and, and maybe how to filter what's worth putting in or what's worth keeping out? Let me just follow up with yeah. one more point that, that I just thought of, which is if you think about what 90% um, similarity means, it means there's a variation on average every 10 nucleotides. Well. If you have a primer that's 25 nucleotides, that means you have a two and a half mutations on average for every sequence in that inclusivity. Uh, now, you may have a region that's highly conserved, but on average, you have a lot of variation, even at 90%. So if your forward primer has two and a half mutations and your reverse primer has two and a half mutations and your probe, well, you're just going to have so much variation. It's going to be hard to have a 
test that will cover all of them. Unless you get lucky and there's a region, for example, in the um, human rhinovirus, there's a conserved region that, you know, while there's a lot of variation in the rest of the genome, there's one good juicy region that is conserved. But well, those are considerations that users should be thinking about. Yeah, thanks for answering these questions, John, because they, they get asked frequently, and I think this is going to give some good guidance to our, our customer group on you know, what to consider and, and how to create a, a high-quality database, which will, will drive your, your primer design. That's one of the, of the three prongs, is this database-driven approach to excellence in design. So, yes. Yeah, so thank you, everyone, for joining our podcast today. I, I can always be reached with questions directly at joe, J-O-E, at dnasoftware.com. Uh, please reach out to us if there's a podcast topic that maybe you'd like to hear and have us uh, go into more depth about. Thank you for joining us today.